a lot of CROs are kind of just becoming disillusioned. Um, in conversations I've had, they've they said, you know, it's so hard to build culture in this company. It's so hard to get people excited. It's, it's so hard to get people to do, to run their own tests. And there's a fundamental issue with, with this, because when we talk about culture and we talk about how we can influence culture, you're putting pressure on the CROs to become these change makers when really they're barely um, getting by with the work they have to do already. Welcome everyone to another exciting conversation on the VWO podcast. In this episode, Manuel De Costa, founder of Effective Experiments, talks about how and why you should build an experimentation ecosystem. He also shares why experimentation should be a cross-departmental effort that involves both online and offline aspects of the business. But wait, this episode isn't like your regular podcast. It's a unique webinar turned video podcast, and it is delivered to you in the form of an exclusive masterclass. So don't forget to hit that follow button to stay updated with our latest episodes. With that being said, let's join Manuel and understand how experimentation provides valuable insights regardless of the outcome. The way I look at CROs and experimentation and is best told through this tale of Sisyphus. Now in Greek mythology, Sisyphus was someone who really annoyed uh, Zeus and Hades, uh, the god of the underworld, and he was punished for this. And his punishment was he had to take this big boulder, this big rock, and take it to the top of, uh, of a mountain. But every time he got really close to the top, the boulder, the rock of the boulder would roll all the way back down. So you had to go all the way back down again and pick it up and again log it up the hill, only for it to fall down yet again, and so on and so forth. The way I look at how experimentation has grown within organizations is best described with this scenario, because I've been watching companies, I've been watching uh, CRO programs and teams, I've seen them kind of go through this cycle of starting, trying to develop it, and then almost going back to the start because a new person has joined or um, they've not really focused on, on the, the important things. And the reality of a lot of CRO programs right now, and you, know, you might relate to this privately or publicly, uh, is that there is a lot of lack of awareness uh, within the wider organization about what is this CRO, what is experimentation, what is A-B testing. There's lack of buy-in, uh, there is lack of engagement, and there's low adoption. And when I talk about these things, lack of awareness and lack of buy-in, lack of engagement or adoption, sometimes I'll have a CRO specialist or an experimentation specialist come to that and say, actually, no, that's absolutely wrong. We have, uh, everyone is involved in testing. Everyone, um, you know, uh, comes to the meetings and we have uh, stakeholders who, uh, who uh, get all our PowerPoints. And, and that's great. That's, that's good. But a lot of it is surface level where it's, it's a box tipping exercise. Like people are present in the meeting, but you're not tracking engagement later. So of the reality of it is, is quite stark for a lot of CROs right now. And then comes this whole concept of we need to build culture of experimentation, which is now the CRO is not only doing the test uh, planning and uh, 
prioritizing and hypothesizing and, and execution and analysis and report writing and, and sending out reports and pre presenting those reports. Now they've got to also do building this culture of experimentation. And it's, it's just another task in the never ending list of tasks that a CRO has to do or a CRT has to do. And I don't think that this, this should be the case because a lot of CROs are kind of dis becoming disillusioned. Um, in conversations I've had, they, they said, you know, it's so hard to build culture in this company. It's so hard to get people excited. It's, it's so hard to get people to do, uh, to run their own tests. And there's a fundamental issue with, with this, because when we talk about culture and we talk about how we can influence culture, you're putting pressure on the CROs to become these change makers when really they're barely um, getting by with the work they have to do already. So here's some really hard truths I want to start with right now. And it might sting, but this is hard. This is the nature of, of the beast right now. The first one is CRO sits in a silo in the organization with no authority or influence to make change beyond the silo it operates in. The second thing is cultural change only happens when there's a top-down initiative. It could also happen with some grassroots movement, but generally this, the bigger changes in the company happen because of a top-down initiative. Uh, companies uh, claiming to have culture of experimentation are mostly lying or presenting a false reality. And this is where the disconnect happens. You have people presenting at conferences and talking about these big uh, uh, culture of experimentation that they have, but really that puts the pressure on people attending or watching that because they now have to try and achieve something that is really not achievable on their own. And organizations are still treating CRO or experimentation as an optional, a nice to have, like an add-on, right? And they're not really clear on, on the value it provides, yes, it increases conversion and sometimes it increases revenue, but really what is this CRO? So there's a lot of a lack of awareness still happening. So these are some of the truths um, of the industry as it stands right now. And uh, again, from observing the industry uh, from an outside view, looking in into these organizations and um, teams, these patterns have emerged over and over and over again. And it got me thinking, how do companies not change, right? If you have, um, if they've struggled to get uh, momentum, why hasn't that happened um, after a few years? So what is the difference? Uh, what's different about an ecosystem? So I just want to make sure that you're not just thinking, I'm changing the word of here, right? Because a few years ago, we had this thing where people said, let's not call it CRO, let's call it experimentation. Um, so I'm not doing the same thing over here. I'm not saying, yeah, let's not call it culture, let's call it an ecosystem. What I am talking about is something different in its approach rather than just bold statements with no um, structure underneath it. So an ecosystem is essentially a complex interconnected system where one impacts off the other, right? So if you look at it this way, every person in the organization is important in this. It's not just uh, the CROs uh, being given this hero complex where they have to go and it's an us versus them mentality and they're going up against 
the hippos because the hippos are on, you know, on, um, educated about the wonders of experimentation and the CROs have to go out and build all that. I'm not interested in all that hero complex. I want to present you with something where, uh, structurally it's sound and gives you, uh, ideas on how to improve that. So this ecosystem is essentially a system where, whereby all the different parts fit together, all the different pieces fit together, and you will see the bigger picture and the, the impact it makes. So how do you build an ecosystem? Right. Firstly, obviously, you need to review where you're at right now. You need to research, you need to see what's the current scenario as it stands. Then you need to engineer the conditions for the change. The next bit is monitor it and iterate on it. That, that sounds actually quite familiar, right? It is actually your optimization process. If you think about research, idea, hypothesize, test, analyze, right? Same cycle. It's literally that you're, you are looking at this through a lens of what you're already familiar with, which is the optimization flow or the experimentation flow. But here's the thing. You cannot do this alone. For any change to happen, there has to be uh, uh, an element of a top-down led approach because um, no matter what you, what your opinion is, I've seen this firsthand where CROs think that they can go bottom up and make that change. It's a futile effort. At best, this, this, this kind of change takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. So it's something that has to come from top down. And this is where the building blocks of this experimentation ecosystem, uh, I will show you the, the building blocks of this experimentation ecosystem. And there are three of them. The first one is priority. Then comes people, and then comes the process. And I want to talk to you through uh, some aspects of this. Obviously, we have, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of time to go through every single aspect uh, in detail. But I'm going to give you, um, you know, a high level view of some of these with some more in depth strategies as we go along as well. So, what is priority? Now, priority is really, really the most important aspect when it comes to building any experimentation ecosystem. Let me ask you this, right? Does this sound familiar to you? When a CRO says, I don't think our stakeholders understand what we're doing. I don't think that they see the value of experimentation. I don't know whether they uh, see that we're helping the business so much with the testing and the, and the research that we do. So here's the challenge for a lot of experimentation and CRO teams is when CRO or experimentation was brought into the company, chances are, and it may not be the case, but chances are it was something that was brought on fairly late. It was something that they heard about at a conference or they heard about it through another competitor doing something similar. And they said, we need to have the CRO effort as well. We need to also do it. So they hired one person to do everything or they hired a small team over time. And that team was kind of sat in the corner doing their own stuff, running their own tests and presenting the results, right? Doing good work, but nothing changes. It was like, there's no awareness, no buy-in. Um, you still haven't proved the point. I was talking to a CRO recently who just joined a company and we're talking about uh, the investment into CRO and she was like, well, it's not a lot right now. 
uh, are basically being, being brought in to prove that it works for the company. And that to me is an interesting take, like a company that doesn't fully buy into this mindset of experimentation or CRO, but they are, they're hiring people with the hope that maybe they will be able to prove it. So here's the first challenge is what is the current perception and awareness of CRO slash experimentation in your organization? Go and find out, right? This is an exercise for you. I don't have the answer for your organization, but you can go and find out. And the best way to do it is grab a coffee slash virtual coffee, since we're all remote now, uh, with some senior stakeholders in the business. If you can get them uh, on uh, to, to talk to you with no agenda, there's no agenda in this call. There's no agenda to present a case or to, uh, to show anything. It's just to talk to them and understand a bit more about their initiatives and throughout the course of that conversation, find out what is their awareness of experimentation or CRO. And we've done this exercise with a few of our clients as well, where they've gone out and they've asked their stakeholders and the answers kind of all, almost shocked them because some of them said, oh yeah, you know, you're that guy that runs some tests and you show us some numbers and some improvements, but the awareness, they cannot articulate what exactly they do, right? So, but that's a, that gives you the baseline. That gives you an understanding of where your unit, the CRO unit, or you stand within that organization. Because that's your research. That's going to be where you're going to improve on. And then you need to do something, which is, which is probably not being done a lot, or it's not being done a lot, which is changing the narrative about experimentation, right? If, if chances are like when you speak to your stakeholders and, or your or senior management, they may perceive CRO as this thing that, you know, you run tests and we get some wins and we get more revenue, more money and all that kind of stuff. But I think it is time to change the narrative about experimentation and CRO. It's not just about winning tests, right? It's not about just about winning tests because a lot of people shoot themselves in the foot when it comes to this. The first thing is when they go in and they pick up on all the low hanging fruit. Everyone wants to win. Let me say that, right? Everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to uh, show that they're proving value, but an experiment is essentially an exercise in learning. That's the key thing. So an experiment, regardless of whether it wins or loses, it's still able to provide you with something, either more revenue or more insights. But the challenge is if we've gone in and uh, kind of hooked up the, um, the C-level and the senior management to this, this drug of like, we're going to run a test and we're going to print money. They get used to that idea. They get their baseline is only that. And so what happens when the winds dry up? What happens when the, the test results plateau and you're not able to show the value because the only value you show is in winning tests. So if you're able to change the narrative about experimentation to providing insights and providing value that way, then regardless of whether you win or lose, you're still providing that value to your stakeholders. And that's what you need to look at because the priority about experimentation has to change first and foremost. The priority for experimentation is really low in a lot of companies right now, even the more mature ones. So unless you change the narrative where you're going out and talking to stakeholders and understanding that baseline and that using that baseline to shift the narrative to what it really should be, 
that priority is not going to change. So that's something to think about. There's an exercise for you to do. So you know what your baseline is in your organization, and then you can use that to shift the narrative a little by little. The next thing is people. And this is really important because, um, over the, you know, the, the decade that I've been involved in the industry, there's gone from like, uh, CRO being, uh, part of marketing, like a digital marketing specialist doing that as part of their work to, uh, a CRO themselves doing it, just one person, then small teams. Now it's growing and growing to a point where there are uh, product owners now given the remit of running tests and it, it is growing. But the challenge is experimentation teams, even now just comprise mainly of technicians and practitioners. And you have analysts, you have UX designers, you have CRO specialists, researchers, the development support. You really have these people who are really good at their craft, right? This is not a bad thing. Uh, it's, it's, you have people that know the, the, the technical aspects inside out, but to drive change, to drive this, um, change of, uh, attitude towards experimentation, the awareness, it requires a completely different skill set. And this is where I found that a lot of CROs struggle with it because to do that, there's a lot of boring work to be done. There is a lot of boring work that doesn't yield any tangible results like really quickly. And a lot of change, uh, change management and change itself has a strong focus on people rather than technology. You can't just, I mean, with the, with technology, you can easily run a test, right? You can, uh, create a test, you can run a test and so on and so forth, but people that's a different ball game altogether. And this is where I feel like the CROs themselves, they struggle with that because they don't, uh, it's a completely different, uh, skill set for them because the current setup is so, uh, technician and practitioner focus, the language spoken about experimentation insights is quite jargon heavy, right? So a lot of people you'd see in our, in our little, um, bubble will talk you know, stats, P values, and, uh, everything about experimentation that we all understand, but then we try and talk in the same language to stakeholders and they don't understand all of that. So you're providing all these stats, these numbers, great. You are doing exactly what you, what you're reporting on, but that report doesn't translate to your stakeholders. So the information going upstream to them whether it's in the presentation or whether it's bundled up with a hundred other insights from other departments, these stakeholders glance at these numbers and then that's it, but they don't understand the impact of it immediately. So here's one exercise for you to do is, uh, you need to change that whether you're a change maker or whether you're still as a technician or a practitioner, start doing this. Look at your experimentation results that you want to, uh, that you want to present or send upstream, but rather than send screenshot after screenshot with the results and tables and stuff like that, start looking at it this way. What is the insight that you gain? So maybe look, pick out two, uh, three to five insights. What are the top insights you've on you, that you have found from all of these experiments? What does it mean? Right. Translated, like what's it, what's the insight? What have you found? What does it mean? And this is the next one. And most important, 
who does it impact? If you can, t if you can clearly articulate that and then show the supporting evidence, what you're going to get is much greater engagement from your stakeholders, because now you're telling them exactly what that means. Yeah, the conversion rates are up great. So what? But if you can tell them specifically what decisions can be made as a result of those insights and who needs to make those decisions, then you're in a much better position. You become an advisor and not a re reporter, right? A lot of CROs have this, this vision where the stakeholders are coming to them and asking them for help on how to improve the product or the service or the business. This is how you get there. Because now it's, it's a two-way street. It's not just about you firing off PowerPoints or talking to a room full of people that are just there because it's an all-hands meeting. You're giving them practical advice from all the data that you found. You've summarized it for them, made it easy for them. And then if they want to learn more, you've given them the supporting evidence to engage with. And that's how you drive awareness and engagement step-by-step step on that path. But really, as a whole, the experimentation setup needs to change as well. And right now, we're quite practitioner skewed, which means that a lot of technicians, a lot of practitioners, as I said earlier. But we need to have bolt-ons on top of that. And the two main roles that every experimentation team or center of excellence or center of enablement needs are orchestrators are focused on managing teams with the view of improving quality and onboarding members, monitoring and coaching. That's really important. I'll show you why in a second. Ambassadors are people oriented. They're extroverted. They're able to build relationships with the C-suite. They talk their language. They can transfer the insights and the knowledge really easily. So the orchestrators and the ambassadors support the practitioner and take the information and, and, and um, translate it to the stakeholders. But none of this is possible without the support of what I call an executive sponsor. An executive sponsor is not just someone that gives you budget or gives you uh, resources, but it's the person that has your back. Because as you will see uh, in the next slide, when CROs try to get other teams or other people to coordinate and collaborate with them, they don't get that. And having an executive sponsor who oversees those people is going to become really important because they can set the remit, they can set the rules and the guidelines for everyone to follow. And now we go into process, which is a nice segue because right now it's almost too easy to, um, uh, to launch a test, right? Um, but we haven't paused to think about the process. We haven't paused to think about the governance and guardrails to ensure quality. I review, uh, I do quite a few audits of experimentation programs, sometimes as an external, uh, consultant. And one of the things I find is how Experiments are launched um, and they are uh, run without any process adherence. Uh, sometimes corners are cut, sometimes the, the reporting is not sound. There's a lot of um, quality issues. So when someone says, oh, we've run a hundred tests this quarter, great. But I'm more interested in what is the quality of that uh, of those hundred experiments? Because right now, there's a hidden epidemic that's growing in experimentation. A lot of companies now want product owners to test. They want other teams to test. And you have a CRO or CRO team trying to um, support them and give them uh, access to tools, give them 
workshops and show them how it's done. And then they leave them to their own devices. But as these teams uh, start adopting experimentation, there's a lot of uncertainty about the quality of their work and the, the processes that they do. So everyone's doing like different things. And it's really hard to figure out whether uh, the experiments being run are have any quality or not. So the need for speed of getting everyone to test, everyone to launch their own experiments is prioritized over a slow strategic approach. Basic, yeah. if you think of how people uh, are onboarded these days, and I've researched this as well, where teams are onboarded and they are given a basic training where they're shown, here's how you run your, uh, how we run tests, and here's access to the tools that you need to run right now. And then they left their own devices. That doesn't cut it because what happens then is you get problems in this process because process adherence issues. You get teams only reporting winning tests and hiding others, right? There are random ideas being tested without proper prioritization. Uh, there's this uh, thing called parking where uh, hypothesizing after the results are known, faulty analysis and reporting, no involvement from stakeholders. But all of this is happening because there, is, there isn't any oversight on all of this. So with all the teams kind of spread out doing their own thing, it's hard to get oversight. And the CRO themselves are struggling because they don't have enough bandwidth or time to properly manage this. They lack the authority to enforce any change. And they lack the expertise, as I mentioned earlier, in that change management process. And stakeholders are not involved. So, you know, uh, CROs will be telling a product team, can you start running some tests and can you um, report on it? And then they find that you know, the product teams are not even bothering with it or they're, they're not even reporting on it correctly. And that's because of the lack of involvement of stakeholders. So the way I look, of, look at growing the experimentation capability uh, in a company, it's not like launching a rocket, right? It's more like teaching people how to ride a bike. First, you have stabilizers where um, they, they can safely ride it and you can watch them and then you're helping them and then you let them go because you save them the knowledge that they know how to ride the bike and they're not going to fall. Change is hard, right? Even with an ecosystem of experimentation, it's not going to go from nothing to, some, uh, to everything in one go. You are going to, go, uh, you are going to get ups and downs and it'll be uh, a case of two steps forward, three steps back. But this is a really interesting uh, concept, Kubler-Ross change curve that I want to show you over here. And any change that happens, whether it's in life, whether it's in business, whether it's in your fermentation program, it's always the case uh, like this, that people will always be in denial about it. Then they'll be frustrated because there's a change and they'll be sad about it. And then slowly they'll accept it and they will integrate it into their workflow. So you have to accept that as you start making the change, whether that is presenting the new reality to your stakeholders, whether it is about getting teams to work together, collaborate together, there will be these ups and downs and you have to work through this to get to the point where it is integrated into the business as usual. So the last bit of this uh, conversation now is how do you put it all together? How do you, uh, you've I've talked about people, the priority I've talked about, uh, people and processes, how are we going to piece this together in reality at least, right? So 
this only works if there is a top-down initiative. So the way this, think of it as a sandwich, you got top-down initiative facilitated and supported by the teams from the bottom up. And that's when this change shift will work. So first things first, focus on the senior management, focus on their perception of experimentation and its value, because that'll give you an understanding of where their mind is at when it comes to experimentation. Then you know how to shift that attitude, shift that mindset by showing them the possibilities of it. This will help establish the need to build and orchestrate a sustainable experimentation program. You get all the support that you need, but more importantly, the remit, right? If a senior, manage, uh, a senior manager says things have to be done in a certain way, it will get done. So you want that level of support and not so much buy-in from like in terms of monetary, obviously you want that as well, but you want someone that has your back and is setting the remit. So this will get you all the key executive sponsors and the ability to set that remit and the guardrails for your processes. Second, look at the experimentation setup. As I told you, if your experimentation team is full of practitioners who are begrudgingly doing the presentations and report writing and trying to share and keep everyone informed, hire orchestrators, upskill people to become orchestrators to focus on the quality of experimentation. Where do you find them? Well, project managers are a good one. They are they're fine in terms of going through the mundane work of checking people's work, reporting on it, and so on and so forth, training, monitoring, etc. Get your ambassadors in place, the ones that are most people-oriented and will talk in the language of the stakeholders. Refine your processes and create those guardrails to ensure that everyone follows the same process. You cannot grow an experimentation program without having strong foundations. The strong foundations are as a, a result of standardization. Ensure that everyone works in a certain way so you, your output is reliable and trustworthy and that will improve the confidence of uh, your organization towards experimentation. Thank you, Manuel, for sharing these wonderful insights and thank you folks for sticking with us throughout this episode. Now it's your turn to take action. Implement these game-changing strategies and let us know what impact it had on your business. Also, share this episode with anyone who could benefit from these insights. And don't forget to check out the other fascinating conversations that we've had with industry experts. Before you go, make sure to hit that follow button so that you don't miss a single episode of VWO Podcast. That's a wrap from our side. Until next time, goodbye, take care, and always be testing.